Well, it's the Lord's Day. Good morning. And uh, this time on this Sunday, uh, not gathered together at Arcadia or the Hill, but uh, having to just worship together in a somewhat different way as we uh, do the best we can with, with live streaming. So thank you for joining us this morning and do trust that this morning would still be a meaningful time of worship and even fellowship together in your homes with your family. May God really bless you and, and be with each one of us this morning. Just right at the outset, I do want to mention just a couple of notices uh, before we move on to our formal time of worship. Uh, just wanting to express uh, condolences. Families in our church that are grieving, and uh, please be aware of them. Uh, we do think of Wambui, whose dad passed away this uh, week, and also... Uh, want to be thinking of, of Leslie and, the, and, and her family, uh, her mom also passing away yesterday. And then many of you will remember Moya. And uh, just to mention that we will have a memorial service for Moya on Thursday, Thursday afternoon at two o'clock. And that will be up at the Hill Campus. And we will also provide a, an opportunity for live streaming for those who are unable to make it. Other than that, the notices are in the bulletin. Michelle has sent that to all of us. Uh, please look at that bulletin, be in prayer. Many, many people suffering with uh, COVID infections and all of us needing to be uh, careful and, and responsible um, in these difficult days. But I do want to go to the scriptures this morning as, as a call to worship. And I've chosen a a psalm that really fits the theme uh, of our message this morning. But Psalm 46, it's, it's a well-known well -known psalm. We, we're told, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's a wonderful thing to know that he who is within us is greater than he that is in the world. And so we're going to bow our heads and join together in just approaching the throne of grace uh, in prayer. Lord, we thank you this morning for the scriptures that tell us that you are near, that you are among us in this world. But Lord, for us as believers, the privilege of having your Holy Spirit even within us. Thank you too that your Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we belong to you, that you are our God, that you are our Father. We thank you too, Lord, that you know our struggles and can identify with us in the challenges we face. And so even as we come this morning in worship, in adoration, Lord, acknowledging that you are God, that you reign supreme over all. And Lord, we confess the narrowness of our perspective, not always understanding the present realities, but Lord, acknowledging the truth that your ways are not our ways, but that your ways are right, that you are good, that you, Lord, are unfolding your redeeming purposes. And in that, Lord, we are grateful. Thank you that we can rest in you, that as we bring our requests to you, as we cast our cares upon you, that, Lord, your, uh, your spirit and even your presence, your ministry to us would be such that you guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And we do this morning, Lord, want to pray for each other. Again, these are difficult days, uncertain days, but, Lord, not uncertain to you. Help us to submit to these uh, days in, in ways of, of wanting to know what it is that you are doing in us as individuals, in us as local churches, praying that your sanctifying purposes would be fulfilled. 
But Lord, we do also want to pray for those who are hurting, those in need today. And we do want to pray for those who are grieving just the loss of their loved ones. Uh, just this past week and, and these recent days and, and Lord, even over months, uh, many, many among us uh, grieve the loss of, of, of uh, those that they've loved. And, and so we pray, Lord, that you would be their portion. Uh, pray for Wambui this morning as she grieves uh, just the loss of her dad. Um, also for Leslie and the family as they grieve the loss of her mom. And, and Lord, thank you for Moya and those that... Uh, walked with Moya and had the privilege of relationship with her and that they would know your gracious hand of mercy. And then, Lord, for the many who are struggling with with COVID, uh, we do want to pray for Kevin and Anita and for Daniel and uh, also for Leslie and and for Patrick, our elder, uh, for Val as she comes through uh, this time. Lord, others perhaps that we're not aware of, I think also of Adele, uh, just asking, Lord, that you would carry them through, that you would bring them through uh, this difficult uh, season. Lord, others among us also having treatment and, and looking to you for your hand of mercy, uh, praying for Yvonne, uh, for Yvette and, and for Di, uh, for Rona, uh, for John and Louise Simpson and, and for Hayden and for Thelma and for Sylvia and for Carol. We commend each one of them to you. Others, Lord, that come to mind, even those who gather with us today, that they lay these individuals, their loved ones, before you, praying, Lord, for your gracious um, hand of mercy. And then, Lord, beyond ourselves, we pray for our uh, sister churches, other believers who gather, even in our city, but further afield. May you, Lord, be among uh, all who worship you in spirit and in truth, and may your gospel continue to unfold and, Lord, bringing light to individuals, but also to the nations. And, Lord, as we pray for our own nation, uh, so much uh, strife and uh, difficulty, and we pray for stability politically in our country. We pray for wisdom for the president, uh, for those who lead, Lord, for courage, and, Lord, that righteousness would exalt uh, this nation. And so, Lord, then as we continue, we want to pray for just our time together this morning, and may this uh, live streaming uh, be of some value in encouraging and, and prompting and stirring us to a greater and closer walk with you. Thank you for opening our hearts to yourself and to the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, and may you continue with us as we worship in song, uh, continuing to praise you in this uh, time together, praying in the name of Jesus. Amen. We do want to invite you to take up your Bibles now, and uh, we are going to spend some time once again this morning in Hebrews chapter 13. And so the passage under consideration this morning is verse 5 and 6. But I, I do want to make a few comments uh, and pray before we uh, read that passage together. But do have your Bible open with you, follow with me. Wonderful words of encouragement this morning. A uh, very timely word uh, for the days and in the days that we are currently living in. So let me pray for us and, and then we'll uh, make some comments and then I'm going to read the passage uh, to us. Lord, we do turn again to the scriptures today, confident that this is your word, that you, Lord, are speaking to us and will speak to us today into our own life situations. And Lord, these vary among us, the, among us together. And, and I do pray that your word would find root, that your spirit would apply the truth of your scriptures in the experience of our daily living. And Lord, give me uh, ability this morning by your spirit and strength to communicate uh, using words that are simple, but Lord, to, to, to be reflecting the truth and the application, the practical application of your word uh, to us yet today. And we pray this, Lord, that your name would be exalted, that your people would be encouraged and edified. Amen. The reason I want to make some comments just before we read the passage is that it is extremely important always, always to understand the context in which the passages of, of the Bible were written. We must understand those early recipients. What, what was their life situation like? 
And so just to get some idea of what it was like for these Hebrew Christians uh, receiving this particular word, we go back to Hebrews chapter 10. And in Hebrews chapter 10, we can just get a, a small insight. We get a peek into their lives, what it was like for them as Christians living in that particular day as the author to the book addresses them uh, with these particular words that we're going to study today. I want us to see that these original recipients, after their conversion to Christianity, came through extremely difficult times. And not only had they come through them, but in all probability were going to face even more difficulties simply because they were Christians. And to put it bluntly in terminology that we throw around so often in our own society, these people had to face gross injustice and harsh persecution. Not my imagination. We go back to chapter 10 and verse uh, 33. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. So they, they were victims of, of, of people against them as Christians. And verse 34, For you had compassion on those in prison, not criminals, but Christians thrown in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Now again, Think about what it must be must have been like for those ordinary people, people who'd come to faith in Christ, suffering as a result of their profession. Having some insight uh, into their situation will help us in understanding the passage before us, also helping us make a practical application that is meaningful. Uh, even as we may face more and more difficulties as days unfold. Now, the reason I, I wanted to emphasize this and, and, and even uh, spend a bit of time on it is it's a very different thing. Telling someone who has a roof over their head and a car in the garage and, and food in their stomachs and saying to them, be content. It's an entirely different thing. Saying to someone who has been unfairly, unjustly thrown into prison, saying to them uh, in a context where their property had been confiscated, taken from them unfairly, illegally, and saying to them, be content with what you have. That was the context back then. So the urging to be content that we will consider this morning must be seen in applying in what I want to call the worst case scenarios. This isn't stuff that's just for, for, for those who live in comfort and ease. This is the word of God that comes to those believers who are really facing difficulties. And I repeat the words. Growth, injustice, and mistreatment, these are the things that are described in this particular passage, the recipients of, the, of what their life experience was like. Now, with that in our minds, I believe we're in a better place, a better position to make good application and to take from this passage a usefulness that can help us in our daily lives. And so with that in mind, uh, take up your Bible and uh, let's read then from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I like to use proverbial phrases uh, that are com common to us. And the one that came to my mind in pre preparation today was having your cake and eating it. You know what that means? It means that one cannot have two incompatible things. And I want to apply that truth to our message this morning in saying that covetousness on the one hand 
and contentment, on the other hand, are two incompatible experiences. It will always be one, covetousness, or the other, contentment. It cannot be both and. In other words, my very first point this morning is you cannot have it both ways. You cannot have it both ways. Now, I want us to think a bit broader in the Bible, in life experience. And I thought and examined my own life and I thought, well, it's unlikely that any one of us will openly admit to being covetous. We don't think of ourselves guilty of covetousness. We know, especially those of us who are believers, those of us who are familiar with the Bible, familiar with the Ten Commandments, that the Tenth Commandment forbids covetousness. So we don't want to admit that we are regularly involved or guilty of covetousness. Uh, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor shall uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or male servant, or female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, of course, we can apply that in our own context in the various things that we may covet. We know that. However, even so, and I want to quote Puritan by the name of uh, Jeremy Burroughs. He pointed out in the title of one of his books, and I'm going to refer to some of the stuff in his book. The title of the book is The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. In other words, we know the commandment, and yet the reality is that we believers, that we Christians, are seldom content. Well, we do not see ourselves guilty of coveting. We are seldom satisfied with what we have. Often, more often than not, wanting more than we have. Hoping, hoping that the next acquisition, that next thing that we've been longing for, the next thing that we get will bring desired contentment. And so the tendency, the tendency in most of us is to keep on accumulating, keep on keeping on hoarding or acquiring, becoming consumed, having material wealth and substance dominating our lives. But you know, even according to Jesus, covetousness and contentment are incompatible masters. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus uses the word mammon, material substance. You cannot, I cannot have it both ways. Well, this uh, study and... and, uh, passage was before me thinking about some application and how to communicate the truth Um, it made me think of a hobby I had an aunt who really encouraged us as her nephews and nieces to get involved in different hobbies and one of those hobbies that she encouraged us in was the collecting of gemstones and one of the stones that fascinated me was a stone uh, called iron pyrites. Now, those of you, many of you probably know what iron pyrites is. It has another common name. It's simply called fool's gold. Fool's gold. At first glance, and especially as a child, when you see iron pyrites, when I saw fool's gold, I thought I was a rich little boy. Many of us who collect stones or go out there and don't know anything about stones can easily be deceived thinking that iron pyrites is the real thing, that it's gold. But it isn't. It isn't. In fact, it has no value at all. Even having bucket loads of iron pyrites will not make you rich. Which leads me to my second point this morning in saying that fool's gold is readily available. It is a real struggle to be content with what you've got and for me to be content with what I've got when there are loud 
and very convincing voices telling you something different. And I want to touch in the first instance, another point in my message this morning is that the one voice is from the world. The world around us constantly bellows forth compelling messages with a deliberate intention of making us feel dissatisfied with what we've got and even who we are. The art and practice of marketing is to convince you that you need something that you don't already have or that you don't even need. But, but, but the marketers want to convince you that you do need it to make you feel that by acquiring this thing, this added thing, you will enter into a state of perfect bliss. Just take some time and think about the advertising that is bombarded at you, whether it comes on the television. Some of the programs have these ad breaks, two, three, four, five adverts, Promoting some kind of product, trying to convince you, you need this thing because when you get it, you're going to be happier. You're going to be content. You're going to be satisfied. And not only television, drive around on the streets and, and the billboards that, that confront you and, and the electronic media, whether it be on any of these social media platforms or browsing the web, you constantly will find these adverts even on this channel that we use uh, uh, often uh, find these these adverts that that are there the printed page printed catalogs all of this is designed and it has the intention to make you think and to feel that you need this very thing but then secondly not only the one voice that is from the world the other voice is from within you and, of course, within me. We must never underestimate the relentless influence of the remaining marks of the sinful nature. Again, thinking of an illustration, I thought of the cell phone. Cell phones are constantly, especially my children, the cell phones are constantly running out of data. Dad, I need more data. Dad, I need more data. And it's 89 rand or it's 99 rand and it's one gigabyte and it's another gigabyte and it's another gigabyte. And our sinful nature is, is like this, this cell phone that, that constantly, constantly is needing more data. And, and the, the sinful nature is producing us this, this constant hunger, this bottomless pit that can never be satisfied, constantly urging us to be more greedy, more desirous of more stuff, more money, more material acquisition. But it's a bottomless pit, never satisfied. I was very surprised to find this quote from philosopher Immanuel Kant. But let me read it to you. He observed, and I think this is so true, something I tried to learn early on in my life, and I shared this with Carol along the way. Give a man everything he wants, and at that moment, everything will not be everything. Isn't that true? This message is telling us this morning, don't waste your life collecting fool's gold. Understand the challenge to be discerning, knowing what is fool's gold and what is real gold. And therefore, needing to heed what God is saying in this particular verse, the fifth verse, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. The exhortation really is speaking of a lifestyle. God is urging on, on us a particular way of life, a conduct that is not consumed and, and not dominated uh, by material things, but being content with what we have. 
the readily available fool's gold is not something new to our materialistic age, as many people may think. But this discontent has been prevalent down through the ages because of the very nature of people struggling with a sinful nature. Even if we go back and, and, and read of the people of Israel in Exodus, very sadly in the wilderness, constantly grumbling, constantly dissatisfied, forgetting that God had just miraculously uh, rescued them, redeemed them from slavery. They, they were breaking stones. They were being whipped. They were working long hours. They were probably not eating the best kind of food. They forget that. They complain, forgetting that God had just delivered them from slavery, that he was providing for them in their present needs in the desert. But it wasn't enough. Like them, we need to learn not to grumble about our circumstances, and it is a challenge, it's a challenge to us to recognize and to see that what we have, anything we have, is in fact a demonstration of the love and goodness of our Heavenly Father. And so the challenge is before us this morning to honestly reflect, to search our hearts before God. Are you, am I, constantly burrowing away? Satisfying, seeking to satisfy what are insatiable desires, but doing so in search of just more fool's gold. We get obsessed. If only I can get that latest new car. If only we can buy a bigger house. If, if, if oh, we pastors, we pastors, we think we can be so self-righteous, but constantly, if only our church could be a bigger church. If only we could be a mega church. If only we could have bigger budgets. See, we all struggle with this. And then I wondered about some present-day application, having sleepless nights over our government's obsession with the expropriation of land without compensation. One group of people in fear of losing their property. Another group of people can't wait to get their hands on what belongs to somebody else and want, want, they want to belong, have it belong to them. It stirs, makes us a little uncomfortable when we are challenged with the truth of the Scriptures. I found this story uh, in an old Reader's Digest, and I think this story is really brilliant in that it, it exposes, exposes me. And uh, it's a story of a Jewish man in Hungary who went to his rabbi and complained. He wasn't happy. He said, life is unbearable. Life is unbearable. There are nine of us, nine people living in one room. Rabbi, what can I do? Well, the rabbi answered, he said, take your goat into the room with you. And the man was incredulous, and, but the rabbi insisted, do as I say and come back in one week. Well, a week later, the man returned and he was looking more distraught than ever before. We can't stand it, he told the rabbi. The goat is filthy and I can imagine the goat stank and was making a mess and so the rabbi said, go home, let the goat out, and come back in a week. A week later, the man returned, radiant, exclaiming, life is beautiful. We enjoy every minute of it now. There's no goat. Only nine of us in the room. That story exposes the challenge. And the point of the story is that contentment is more often than not perspective, a matter of perspective rather than our circumstances. 
our perspective, and we Christians have the advantage of the truth of God's word, of God's word that can widen our perspective, that can give clarity to our perspective, that can deepen our perspective. And so we need constantly to have the solid input of the word of God. Contentment doesn't just happen. The Apostle Paul wrote from prison. So yet again, we have a Christian, Christian leader in prison, not as a criminal, as a thief, as many deserve to be, but are not. But he says from that situation, as he writes to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Well, I say to myself, if the Apostle Paul needed to learn to be content, I need to learn to be content. We need to learn, therefore, to discern but what, between what is the readily available fool's gold and what really is the genuine gold. Which leads me to my third point. Real gold is the worthwhile treasure. I want to go back to the book by Jeremy Burroughs. And uh, he has a definition for contentment that I want to read. And I want you to listen and imagine, imagine life to be as he describes in his definition. He defines contentment, contentment as that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal of every condition. Have a look at John Owen as well in this regard. And uh, he goes a little bit further than just giving a definition. He elaborates. And uh, let me read his definition first. It's in his commentary uh, on the book of Hebrews. He says, contentment is a gracious frame or disposition, a gracious frame or disposition of mind, quiet and composed. But then he adds, and I'm going to put this in my own words. He adds that there are certain things that, that contentment is without. Well, what, what is contentment without? Well, in the first instance, contentment is without complaining, whining and whinging about what he calls God's uh, providential disposals to outward circumstance. In other words, not whining about what I've got. It's also without constantly complaining or concerned about what others have and what you don't have. Without that, satisfied with what you have. He also goes on to say that true contentment eliminates anxieties and fears about the future. And then in the fourth place, he also says it, it is without constantly thinking about if only you had lots of wealth, what you could do and how happy you will be. Well, how can we learn to discover this treasure? Well, we believers, there's no doubt, can take hold of this treasure. And the couple of things I want to say this morning, the first is this discovery must begin, it must start with knowing God. Our passage provides wonderful reassuring support from God. But now I'm going to get there in a minute. But, but, the words of reassurance are only valid because God exists, because God is real and knowable. Something we perhaps don't think about, we take for granted, but I want to bring it to the fore this morning. The author of Hebrews had raised this particular issue some time ago in Hebrews 11. We considered this, where he said in verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please him, that is God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so what I'm wanting to urge on, on you this morning as a fellow pilgrim, a fellow struggler on this journey, for you, for me to receive these reassuring words 
in the midst of our adverse circumstances. And folk, some of us are struggling. Many of you are struggling in adverse circumstances. It hinges. It hinges on the reality of knowing and being known by God. There must be a relationship. Got to start in the right place. Helpful to quote A.W. Tozer. Believe he has it right or had it right when he said, The man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. I want to say that again. The man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. Another old Puritan, and again just quoting from the experience of believers who've gone before us. When he sat down to his meal, he found that he only had a little bread and some water. His response was to exclaim, What? All of this? And Jesus Christ too? I think you'll see where I'm going. Is this the experience of your life? What place does Jesus occupy in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, in your life? Is Jesus a daily necessity? Is his atoning work a daily necessity and reality and delight in your life? That has to be the starting point. We move on from a place of being consumed, understanding our need, our daily need, our everyday need, our eternal need of Jesus. Our relationship with him and through him, with God and the Holy Spirit. Which leads me to my second point. The discovery of treasure can continue. Once we have the reality of God in place, our relationship with God in place, our understanding of our walk in the reconciling work of Jesus, the discovery of treasure can continue. And again, why? When we turn to a passage like this, when we know God, God has revealed himself, we know we know that God cannot lie. We know that he's all-powerful. We know that he's compassionate. We know that he's loving. We know that he's redeeming. We need to learn more and more about who God is. And of course, he has an interest, repeatedly seen in the Bible, he has an interest in, a personal interest in every one of his sheep. Therefore, placing you in a position as a sheep, with the reassurances in this passage apply to you in every circumstance of life. What are they? Let me read the verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now there are three truths I want to elaborate on from that fifth verse in Hebrews. The first is a very obvious one, but I want to uh, expand on perhaps our superficial thinking, is the promise of God's presence. This is more than just the benefit or the knowledge of knowing that God is everywhere present. This is more than that. Bible teaches us the very nature of God is that he is everywhere present. There's more here. What we need to understand is the promise of God's favorable presence. There's a difference. God's favorable presence towards his sheep, towards his children. It is, and I want to put it differently, it is God's active providential involvement in the circumstances of your life. God involved. It is this truth that makes Romans 8 verse 28 true and real. We know that for those who love God, 
all things work together for good. Who It's God working and orchestrating and, and maneuvering and intervening and guiding and leading and using the, the difficult threads to bring about a beautiful tapestry. Don't forget the promise of God's active, favorable presence. It helps you to know in the midst of your pain that God has not abandoned you. You may not feel it. You may not, it might not even look like it. But the truth revealed, God is present. It means that he deals with the big picture. Big picture that we don't always see. God has the bird's eye view. And we're like little worms. Seeing little grains of sand one at a time as they unfold before us. We can be assured because God has not only the big picture in view, that God is unfolding and orchestrating that big picture for the redeeming purposes and the good purposes of his people. Number two, the assurance of God's help. So it's a great thing to know in the big scheme of things, God is present actively, providentially present, orchestrating, and that he's not turned his back on you. That, that, that's point one. But now point two, it's a greater thing, even a greater thing, to know and experience what God does in the immediate present. Today, in the midst of your pain. That's what's been addressed in this part of the verse. Terrible things are done to Christians. Have done so in the past. Read enough history, church history, and you'll see that. Even today, some parts of the world, much is written on people who are suffering as believers, and we can be sure that that's going to continue into the future. There's a record of martyrs down through the ages. These were real, ordinary people. Men who had wives and little children or, or wives that had husbands and little children and mothers and fathers and just seek, seeking to make a They were burned at the stake in public view, some of them. Some were thrown into prison. Not sophisticated prison like we have today. Some were beaten with rods. Others were fed to the lions, dragged behind a horse until dead marginalized, pushed out of society, rejected, falsely accused, mistreated, having their belongings removed. This, this is the context, and we're, we're told here by God through his word that he will help. He's going to stand alongside. He's going to stand with. And so I'm urging you this morning, and I'm preaching to me, Always remember the promise of God's help in the present time in the midst of your need. Understand that we stand alongside those who have gone before us, who discovered the help of God in the midst of their experience. Whether that be bread to eat or whether that be strength when you're weak, and, and as I thought about this, and even as I've read books like Fox's Book of Martyrs, or Stephen, who's one of my favorite uh, uh, characters who suffered martyrdom in, in the book of Acts, it's in the moment that God helps, in the moment of need. He doesn't, he, he doesn't sort of build up a, a, a capacity that somehow helps me feel strong, so when the difficulty comes, no, it's when I'm in the midst of the storm, when you're in the midst of, of, of the hardship. Now, this passage is primarily addressing God's help to persecuted and mistreated people. But the same principle of contentment and help applies. Terrible things happen to Christians. So my last point I made was terrible things are done to Christians. Now I'm speaking about things that happen to Christians. Just this week I've mentioned three families that we connected with that have lost Loved ones. That's a difficulty that happens. Some have faced physical and sexual abuse, and perhaps even in the present, there are those who are going through that kind of hardship. Terminal illness, 
does not bypass us as believers. Road accidents rob people of their lives, even if they are professing believers at times. Childlessness challenges uh, our faith in God. And very sadly, life evaporates out of some, even due to mental illness. And, and many more difficult circumstances. And when, when we describe those circumstances, when we think of, of facing those circumstances, when, when in the midst of those circumstances, who of us can cope with any of those issues? None of us. None of us. But unexpectedly, mercifully, God steps in. How many of us can share testimony of that? Pain is real. But the help of God is realer. In the midst of the storms. When we are weak. He is strong. He helps us to cope. What we cannot cope with on our own. But thirdly, from those, that verse, I want to add the prospect of riches. Verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? It is true that men can take your earthly possessions. It is true that you can be arrested and, and even be killed. But no man, no woman, no government can take God and the riches of heaven from the believer. Jesus made the same point, warning his hearers in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Or as Martin Luther put it, we're going to sing the song just now in closing. He put it in this hymn, in the hymn that he wrote, A mighty fortress is our God. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Also the Apostle Peter speaks of us being born again, believers to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. To what? To what? Where are we heading? Where are we going? What are these riches? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And so the title of my message today, Go for Gold. Go for Gold. Don't be deceived into hoarding bucket loads of fool's gold. That's worthless. I've said this before, but one of the most disturbing things for me in the course of my ministry is walking out of hospital with family after a loved one has died. We don't even leave the toothbrush behind. We leave with nothing. Well, let me conclude, and I'm going to conclude with two quotes. And uh, listen to them carefully. I was surprised by this quote from uh, the person it comes from. It, 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 it didn't, uh, yeah, it was a surprise to me. Henry Kissinger, he was on the scene when I was a, a teenager, but he observed and, and, and very wisely, listen to what he said. To Americans, usually tragedy is wanting something very badly and not getting it. You get the idea? I want the house. I want the car. If I don't get it, it's a tragedy. If I don't get it, it's a tragedy. Then he says this. Many people have had to learn in their private lives and nations have had to learn in their historical experience that perhaps the worst form of tragedy is wanting something badly, getting it, and finding it empty. It's true. Well, what about Jeremy Burroughs? He says, The soul which by coming into the school of Christ, 
by understanding the glorious mysteries of the gospel, that soul, that person, that believer comes to see the vanity of all things, meaningless, meaningless, as in Ecclesiastes, comes to see the vanity of all things in the world, that is the soul that comes to true contentment. And then he elaborates, and I'm going to mention some of the examples he gives. He says, that soul says, I see that it is not necessary for me to be rich, but it is necessary for me to have peace with God. It is that soul that says, it's not necessary that I have a pleasurable life in the world, but it's absolutely necessary that I should have pardon for my sin. It's not necessary that I should have honor and preferment, but it is necessary that I should have Christ as my portion, that I should be saved on the last day. Then he rounds it off. The other things are pretty fine indeed. We know that. And I should be glad if God gives them a fine house, income, clothes, and advancement for my wife and children. These are comfortable things. But they're not necessary things. I may have these and yet perish forever. No matter how poor I am, I may have what is absolutely necessary. That is what Christ and his gospel teaches me. Lord, I do pray that your gospel would indeed teach us that Jesus, our Savior and King, Prophet, would be uppermost in our minds, consuming our desires, giving us that sweet, quiet frame of mind, knowing the peace of God that passes all understanding. Amen. And now may the love of the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus, and the presence and help of the Holy Spirit be each one's portion, now and forevermore. Amen. Well, God bless you. Uh, we are live streaming again this evening at 6.30, at, at 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock, and, and Jabu will be the preacher, continuing in the series in the Second Thessalonians. From our lounge, do join us. Uh, looking forward to that time as well.